containers. They're everywhere. If they're not in your IT environment, in production today, they're guaranteed to be in a test or dev environment, or at least on the agenda. But how do you start? What tools should you use? And how do you make sure that your container project won't end up like the evergreen, wedged between a rock and a hard place in the Suez Canal? To help you answer that, on today's episode, I brought Patrick Gunnar Sten, Business Area Manager at Konoa. Konoa is a specialist company, uh, a specialist in container technologies, uh, recently acquired by Proact. And my second guest uh, has been on the show uh, multiple times before, uh, that's the CTO of Proact, Per Sedin. As usual, I hope you enjoy the show and that you'll learn something new. <laughs> All right, so... Containers have disrupted the global trade in the last year. You know, the peak was reached uh, last March when the Evergreen, the huge container ship, blocked the Suez Canal for several days, and I'm still waiting for my PS5. Uh, but other types of containers are disrupting how we develop, deliver, and manage our IT as well. The, the technology isn't really new, but I guess now is the time when it's reaching the mainstream and gets adopted. Uh, so let's start this episode super basic and work our way up to uh, more, you know, advanced talking points as we go. Uh, so, you know, let's start with, with you, Patrick, and let's go super basic. What is a container first and foremost? So you almost explained it. So Evergreen was loaded with containers containing those PS5s and, and other stuff. And uh, and the container in, in IT is pretty much the same. So it's... Uh, it's a, it's a wrapper, whatever you want to call it, where you put all your code that you want to deploy. And once you put that in that container, then you have an application that's movable. So you can uh, move it uh, you know, from any place to, you know, let's say, your own data center to public cloud, for example. So it's, it's the first step of making your applications cloud native in that sense. Um, you can code anywhere and you can deploy anywhere that's the basic function of a container all right as long as um there has to be something underneath yes. I, I mean, guess there, there's an underlying platform uh, people are talking about uh, docker containers and they're talking about kubernetes so there's an underlying infrastructure where you have an operating system and a, a Docker uh, Docker runtime, basically. Um, and as long as you have that and you're following you know, all, all the standards, any type of container will run on that environment. So if you look right. at the, the public cloud vendors, for example, you have uh, you know, ready-made container services in them. They, of course, are following you know, all, all the standards. So any container you uh, package anywhere else, you can deploy it there and it's going to work there or in any other hosted service. Right. So it's like basically a standard for infrastructure. Uh, and we like standards, USB-C, for instance, uh, deploy, charge anywhere, so to speak. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, it, 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 is, it is infrastructure, you know, and, and you, know, you, you know us, you know, ProArct and me, you know, we, we love infrastructure. And I guess this is kind of the, I guess, next iteration of development of infrastructure, you know, it, it is, you know, uh, completely uh, programmable. You consume it through APIs, and it's very much the 
the developers that are utilizing infrastructure. So, so it it, ta- it takes a, a very specific or, or or enhanced infrastructure compared to I think what what Proact have been doing in the past. You know, and, and that's one of the reasons for, you know, that Kanoa is now part of of Proact. So, so it is really cool infrastructure. But I think on top of it, you know, it, it is about the application because the application is really what decides, you know, what the infrastructure should look like. And and these applications, you know, they are technically very cool. I think contemporary developers love, you know, the containerized type of application. And it's been pioneered, I think, by a lot of the web companies. I think a good local example for Sweden would be Spotify, which, you know, they have programmed their whole, uh, you know, the music app, you know, the pieces of it, you know, in containerized type of architecture. So it started, to Patrick's point, quite a few years ago, and now it's reaching mainstream. But but also the, the, the way it's reaching mainstream is not just technology, it's not just IT operation, it's not just infrastructure, it's very much driven by the business side. And and this creates you know new some new opportunities, but also some new challenges. You know, the business are looking at these types of applications because potentially they are more flexible, they are more agile, you can change faster, you, you, you can change bits and pieces, so you can follow your specific market, you know, your competitors, and, and gives you an edge, you know, making more money, having a better service in the public sector by utilizing uh, these types of applications and the underlying infrastructure. So there is absolutely a business perspective as part of it, and I think that is... I would say a big part of why this is really taking off in you know left and right with more and more customers as we speak. Why should you containerize? And you were you mentioned some things there, Per, with uh, scalability and uh, ease of development uh, and, and so on. Uh, why is that so? What is it with this new next generation infrastructure that that really makes that so much easier? Yeah, and should you containerize everything? I think I think uh, Patrick is probably much more an expert than I am here, and not necessarily. You know, it, it's like yeah, it's contemporary, it's cool, it's the new stuff, but it might not fit everywhere. So as always, you know, you have to think before you do. It's always good. So so I don't know Patrick, what, what do you say? Yeah, I mean, you're not going to use technology for the sake of technology. I mean, some people are doing that, and that's usually what kind of kicks things off in the beginning, but. But really, you're trying to solve a business problem or, or make something better in your business. And, and looking at containers, I think there's two things that we're seeing at the moment. Where one is um, what I started with saying that, you know, it makes your applications movable. You can move them from one place to another. Um, so if you want to move, um, you know, between different service providers or between different data centers or between different uh, geographies around the world, it's very easy to deploy your applications anywhere. At, at any time. That's that's one thing. Um, you know, traditional infrastructure, traditional uh, operations type of, uh, you know, benefits. Um, but the first one that I think we've seen, at least here in, in the Nordics, that's been triggering this is development of software, of applications. Uh, and in the way that containerization is speeding up, you know, uh, development of applications. So the business might have... Um, you know, business needs saying that we need to bring new things to the market faster, new functions or new features. Um, and if you're working with containers in the right way, it's more of a development cycle that 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 gets automated and, and following you know certain guidelines and principles, which makes it very fast and very easy to. 
to change code, uh, to test it, and then to bring it up into production. So you're, you're shortening those cycles, you know, significantly. Okay. Is it, you know, uh, microservices is a term that is, uh, you know, pretty common in, in when talking about containers. Uh, is it because of an application being divided into multiple microservices uh, that makes this possible or is it something else? Um, yeah, I mean, it's related. You can take a, a standard application, a standard monolithic application, and you can put it in, into a container and you can deploy it anywhere. Um, but you, you still get a lot of dependencies then, of course, you know, to that application. And, and it still might be hard to, to update the code in there because you have a lot of code in there. And, and there's a lot of dependencies. Well, microservices, you tend to break things up. So you have different functions uh, running in different containers, uh, like Lego bricks. So you're adding functions as you need them, and you can change them as you need them, and you can upgrade them as you need them. So if you have a, you know, a, a web server running in, in a application, uh, or sorry, in one container, you can just you know do your upgrades in that one and, and and stop it and upload the new one and start that one, and you don't have to affect all the other containers doing, you know, other types of communication or or, or talking to other functions within your application. So it makes right, it right. makes those Lego blocks easy to to swap out basically. Okay, very interesting. I think, Per, you mentioned uh, Spotify before. Uh, I, t- I talked to, to a Spotify employee at uh, one point where, where he was uh, talking about uh, the, the actual play forward and rewind buttons being one microservice, if I'm correct, it might be wrong, but something like that. So there was like a product manager for those three buttons taking care of that project. And if those break, the whole app doesn't break. It's just... Uh, those buttons is like an application in the application basically yeah, i mean exactly they i mean they had a, like like both a, an application architect you know built in this way and, and divided you know they have divided different functions in there so they are and, and even you know uh, you and i i think all of us are using spotify we might not necessarily have the same version of the application they are shooting out new versions they are testing it for a, for a number of users see how it works you know so making sure that you're so so it, it's a very very iterative process you know it, it's changing all the time you know it might be i mean instead of you you know having an erp system you know and, and you might change it every few years and it's a big project uh, and, it, and it's an important one uh, this might be changes coming on a daily basis or an hourly basis you know so so it's, it's kind of a different world and I think Spotify is is an interesting example because when when I you know worked with these guys and girls you know when, many years ago um, you know they didn't when when we you know we had them doing some lectures for us you know and we thought they're going to talk about all these new cool development tools and and you know how they did it and all they talked about is the way they organized so I mean their development teams and their operation teams they were like their own units you know so if if you develop code as a developer you also have the responsibility for actually making it work in reality and and certainly the operations teams had to understand you know applica- modern application development you know so I think I think they hate the term you know and and but I mean it it's kind of it got a name eventually called devops you know you you have the developers and the operational team kind of working together and it's much more than technologies it's probably more about uh, 
the way you organize, the, the way you, you steer your organization more than anything else, actually, make, which might make it harder. It's, it's not just a software pack you can put on there and everything is working. It, it might be, do you have the right skill set? Do you have the right organization? Do you have the right managers? Do you have the right, right goals for it? So they talked very much about how they organized, not saying that their way is the right way. It's just a Spotify way of doing it. It will probably not translate into anyone else you know so you have to find your own way in this one and i think that that could be sometimes a challenge and might hold things back uh, perhaps also especially after the, the kind of experimentation stage when it when it needs to go in, into production it, it could be a challenge yeah and on that comment as well i think like like you said in the beginning Per, uh, not everything is probably the right thing to put in into a container either um, because it goes back to, you know, what is that application doing and is it adapted to, to run in a container environment? Um, and things like availability, for example, you, you build availability in the container platform completely different than you do in the traditional virtualized environment with your backend databases, uh, for example. So it's also a matter of, of picking the right application, the right workloads um, to put into those containers. Not everything is going in there today. Right. And I think um, let's expand on that. What like what, what is suitable for containerization, so to speak? And and before you answer that, I I personally see two different categories of of uh, answers here. First, it's new applications that are being delivered, but then we have legacy applications as well. Uh, in both those cases, what is worth containerizing? Yeah, and, and, and it's almost kind of the opposite answer. It's probably easiest to look first at what you should not containerize. Um, and if you ah. look at every company today, they have a number of databases you know, for, for different things that they run. Um, and if you look at the slightly bigger company, they will have some pretty large backend databases where they store you know, things from their ERP system or, or CRM or, uh, uh, you know, logistic systems, uh, et cetera, um, or a bank that has, you know, tons of transactions, you know, in, 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 in the backend that you cannot lose, basically. Those databases tend to be built um, to not scale uh, in, the, in the traditional sense. You can't run uh, those databases in, in multiple versions because you get locks between different uh, physical servers that you can only write in one place at a time, for example. So those are not built to scale out into, you know, hundreds of containers, um, which makes them, you know, not the most suitable candidate to, to put into a container and, and run on a container platform to start with. So I think, you know, traditional um, relational databases, big ERP systems, uh, you know, applications that are built to scale up rather than scale out. They are not the first one that you, you put into a container. Um, with that said, then, you know, typical use case for a container, and especially where it started probably, is, is, uh, is web. So web applications. And you know, if you're logging in to, to make your shopping on a large uh, retailer, for example, um, you can have hundreds of thousands of people being on that web page at the same time. Uh, and each of them can run in their own container. Um, and if that container goes down, you know, you just you know, refresh your browser and you're going to get a new container. You can continue your, your, your shopping. Those applications are built to run in multiple containers and, and to scale out. So typically that would be where you probably would start. And I, th and I think also on the subject of, of getting started, you know, it, it's, uh, 
it it might be that your 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 ERP system or you know the the core of of your organization is needs to be rebuilt in a in a containerized or microservices. But that that is a long project, and 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 if you get going, it it might not be the right approach to start with the biggest, most important, the most complex. You know, so so there is there more you know the low hanging fruit type type of you know are we changing something are we building something new and and you know so so really you know try try to get some early success and build up experience instead of trying to do the most complex you can find in your organization as a starting project is is, is probably a little bit what i heard from from patrick and his colleagues at canoa might be some you know good rule of thumb I yes guess. i mean start start simple and and learn as you start simple um, and and as you said, you know, if you're going to start with the most complex things, it's going to take a lot of time, cost a lot of money, and and you probably, I'm mean, probably not going to be as successful as if you start with something simple. Um, I mean, the the bigger companies in Sweden that we work with, we we all started with something simple, typical uh, applications that represent a good use case that they, you know, where where you can see the benefit of of running containers. Start with those, test those, uh, learn as you go, and 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 adapt, and and then continue. Yeah, and I mean, how can you get going? I mean, there, you know, I I know that we, you know, we sometimes run like workshops, you know, with different, let's say, stakeholders or, or different parts of the organization with customers. It's certainly operations, developers, maybe the business size to identify, you know, where 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 do we start? And and I don't think there is like one place only. It's very much dependent on, on you and your organization, you know, where you are when it comes to your applications, your requirements, your business, you know, your competitors. So, so some type of get together, uh, talk about this, uh, f- find a starting point. And, and we, we quite often facilitate those types of, of I call it workshop um, type of activities. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's been key for I would say a number of the largest installations that that we have here in Sweden, um, and the, some of the largest in in the Nordics to be to be honest. Uh, all of those pretty much started with uh, with the workshop where you bring all the business together, both operations, developers, and management. And the reason for that is that implementing a container platform is is a big project. Uh, there's a lot of new technologies, but it's also impacting everything that you already have. Um, so you need to get people to understand that this is fairly complex to get it into a production, you know, state that 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 is suitable to run, you know, more critical applications. And you need to get the whole business to understand their part into this because what we've seen as uh, one of the big issues in in I would say every client is that you have existing rules or uh, Procedures that you, you, you have set or, or even uh, legislation that you need to follow. Um, and especially when we're looking at network and security, there usually is rules uh, in place that has to change for a container platform. You cannot do it exactly as you've done you know, before the last 15 years or so. Um, so there's a lot of change that needs to be happening so you need to start right and you need to be aware of what you're doing. Otherwise, you're going to waste a lot of time doing the wrong thing and it's not going to go very fast forward. Hmm. 
And, and, and I also seen, so I'm interrupting you. You don't even have time to ask questions, Nick, have you? <laughs> well, uh, that I, makes I, my I, job much easier. <laughs> <laughs> I see several, several examples, clients I've been working with, pretty large ones, you know, where, where you had, you know, a cloud team or a development team, you know, and, and they got going, you know, by themselves, you know, very innovative, very creative, you know, but they, they didn't really reach out to, to service operation because they were perceived to be, you know, too old, too slow, you know. However, this eventually... Uh, comes with a consequence. Uh, I have a very good example. I won't tell you the, the customer, but they are, they, it's a big organization. You know, the the developers. You know, they, they they built their own platform completely out of service operations. You know, they pick bi- di- different bits and pieces. Most of it all open source. Uh, and and after a year and a half, it was going into production. And and then they called service operations. Say, can you take care of this platform? Because now we need to life cycle it, you know. Now we need to, you know, put all these processes and IT and security reviews, you know, all the boring stuff. But but you know, and and that it failed completely because service operations said, no, we we haven't heard about this platform. We don't have the competence. We cannot operate an open source platform that has bypassed uh, basically all of the rules we have around our IT operations, you know. So, so they, that is probably not, you know, a successful way. Although it might be tempting, saying, "Let's get something off the ground. Let's get going." You know, let's, you know, the guys in the white, you know, white uh, uh, clothes, you know, coats. with lab, lab clothes, whatever. You know, they, they, nah, let's ignore them. They're they are too slow. You know, that, that could come with a consequence if you, if you're not careful. Yeah, I mean, completely. And everyone gets stuck on network and security policies. Every single customer does. Because it differs so much. Because, yeah, because whatever, I mean, first of all, networking, the the old way that you are used to do it, you have applications in, in a VM and you open up ports and you have firewalls and you do traffic, you know, uh, through network that way, uh, that, that you try to secure and you, you try to keep the enemy outside, so to speak, outside of the firewall. Whilst in the container world, uh, communication is done uh, as, as an API a API call between containers. Uh, so you generate a lot of network traffic, uh, but there's no IP addresses and there's no firewalls that you want to pass through. So the, the, the whole setup is completely different. Now, that's the first thing. So you can't secure it in the same way as you secure your, your normal environment. Um, and also what we see is from a policy perspective, you know, clients have a lot of network and, and security policies that are kind of set in stone and, and, and they've applied for, for many, many years. Um, and in most cases, they have to be changed uh, in order to take benefit of a container platform. And just that process of, of getting those changes done and approved uh, can easily take six months, 12 months in, in you know, in some large organizations to to convince them and to show them that the new way of doing things is as secure as the old way. All right, so it is as secure. Oh yes, it's yeah. as secure mm-hmm. and and probably even more secure if you do it correct. It's just different, uh, which is which is a challenge. Uh, and and I mean, me telling my story, you know, it's not like IT operation. You you can sit, you know, on your chair and try to stop this. You know, that that is not your option either. You know, work work together. You know, try to understand. You know, what what are we doing? Why are we doing this? You know, what what are these developers actually doing? And how can I embrace that change? You know, how can I take my um, you know IT operation and and my infrastructure to the next step? You know, what is required? 
technically and what type of competences and processes do I need to make it happen? Because this is not something uh, IT should even attempt to stop because this is usually the business driving this one. They, they need a change, you know, and the business will always bypass a technical blocker. And, and it's just going to end in, you know, mistakes and poor quality if you don't work together, you know. So, so you can't sit, you know, on your share having a nice sign and say, oh, I have these policies placed as IT. You cannot do that. That is not the solution either. You have to get in there. You have to get to understand this. And, and uh, you do, do need to have developer competences inside your IT operations, for sure. Uh, that is, that is uh, part of, of, I would say, the new IT operations world for those of you who are living mm. in that world. I think Per is touching us on a very important point there as well, because initially you usually get resistance from operations. Um, it's new technology, you don't know it, you, you don't know how it works, you don't know how it's going to impact the way you're working, or, or even if you're going to have a job after you know this is implemented, do my do my skills still count in the new world? Um, which is you know a completely unfounded fear because everything that they do today uh, is going to have to be done in this new platform. It's just being done in a slightly different way. Um, so it's an opportunity to learn those things and 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 adapt basically. But no one is being replaced and nothing is being redundant. So there's nothing to be afraid of. So uh, obviously Konoa is working with the container technologies almost uh, exclusively, right? Uh, and have been for, for several years. And so you have a lot of customers uh, that you help out and, and, uh, and guide through this journey. Um, but uh, as I mentioned in my intro there, uh, it, it, it seems like you know, containers have been around for a while, but it's now that that it starts to become mainstream. Is that, would you say that's the case, or where are we in the at least the Swedish market where you where you uh, you've been uh, most involved? Yeah, I mean, we uh, we were lucky to be to be early out. So in, in 2015, we started by becoming the uh, the first Docker partner in in Europe, basically. Um, and, and since then, we work with you know uh, the largest clients in Sweden to to implement those uh, container platforms that they run today. And and I would say, looking at the journey, the first couple of years, it was very much driven from uh, companies that has large uh, development, uh, um, you know, parts of, of their um, you know IT operations. So they have a large part of developers. So it's been driven out of this necessity of, of speeding up development, and 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 you know speeding up to now to 2021. I think most companies have they've they've done something with containers for a while. Uh, they've tested it. They um, developed software for it. But I think the last two years or so, we we we're seeing this to take off in the sense that now you're you're onboarding more critical applications on, onto container platforms. Um, three years ago, it, it was still more kind of testing and maybe not the most critical type of applications. Uh, but now we're definitely seeing this being scaled up uh, to a large number of containers and much more critical applications, which means that the platform is, is today much more enterprise-like, I would say, with, with a lot of clients than it was maybe two, three years ago. And, and maybe and maybe more less sexy use case might be you know that you you get some shrink wrap off the shelf application that is now 
uh, you know, being delivered as containers. And, and you might be required to run a Kubernetes cluster, run Kubernetes cluster and have the skills just to run some of the off-the-shelf applications. Maybe not as exciting as, you know, creating your own unique functionality that brings, you know, you, you make you different in your market. But so, so you know, wherever you turn, you know, we're starting to see that happening as well. And, and I, I would also underline that part as, as the proof kind of that containers aren't going away. Because whatever you're doing, as long as you're running applications, you have application developers that builds those applications that benefits from having the development done uh, in pipelines in containers. So as Per said, there's a lot of software now that you're buying off the shelf that the only way that you can run it is in a container. Hmm. Right. Which, which makes you, as a consumer of that product, having to have a container platform of some sort uh, ready just to, to run that application, which is uh, interesting. I remember back in the day when, you know, when CDs or DVD, software DVDs were slowly getting, uh, uh, you know, it was slowly becoming a non-thing. So you could choose to buy a software uh, product on a, on a disk or get it in a USB drive. Uh, sounds like kind of the same thing, but you don't have an option. Yeah, I mean, we're getting to that point that there is certain applications now that you, you don't have an option. You have to run it as a container. Well, that's uh, that's interesting. I mean, that, just so the market is pushing on the containers from many different uh, different points. Do you think that you know will eventually be running containers as standard, and not you know that that will be the the thing that we run our our software uh, as? Uh, let's say you know in five, ten, twenty years. You know, we still we still run mainframe and the Vax VMS. You know, so I, I don't know. You know, I'm I'm not convinced that the traditional database is going to go away in anywhere soon. You know, you're going to have new types of databases. Yeah, is it is is it going to take over and rule the whole world? That usually never happens. No, and and you know, before we're at that stage, potentially, you know, there might be a new technology popping up. Um, I mean, that's the <laughs> yeah. only thing that I'm sure of being, you know, in in the IT business since 2001 is that whatever you think is going to happen in five years, you know, something else pops up and something else happens. Mm, true, but it's it's definitely going to take time. And if you if you're looking at even the uh, the early adopters and the one running, you know, large container clusters there with tens of thousands of containers in them, uh, it is still the, a smaller part of their IT environment compared to the old legacy stuff. Right, right. The more necessary parts. Uh, go, uh, rewinding a bit back to like getting started, or let's say you have started, and uh, you probably at that point already have chosen uh, the tools uh, but I know uh, that you, Patrick, at, at Konoa, you have have this chart, or maybe it's not your chart, actually, but it's a chart of uh, logos of tools uh, that can be used for different parts of, of uh, managing and uh, de- deploying a container uh, solution. Uh, I mean, th- that must be a hard uh, thing to choose from. You know. Yeah, I mean, if you uh, if you ever seen the con- cloud native computing foundations uh, chart of all the projects um, around containers, you know, there's hundreds of them, of if not even thousand today. So there's a lot of different tools. There's, there's a lot of new 
technologists that goes into it, and there's a lot of companies you know working with us. And some of them are, are new companies that's you know only been around for a couple of years, and some have been around for for you know, decades. Um, but boiling this down, and as I said, as clients now are starting to run more critical applications in in larger numbers, you know demands on on that container platform is going up. So you have to meet those type of enterprise demands. Um, and then you need to start being, you know, fairly picky and 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 take consideration of what tools you're picking uh, because they have to work uh, with everything that's you know that they need to work with. Um, there's no one solution that you can buy and, and push a button and, and you get a Kubernetes cluster that meets all of those requirements that an enterprise uh, client um, will have. Uh, so. You, you're going to end up with a number of different products, a number of different solutions that all needs to be capable of working together, basically. Hmm, right. Hey, it, it, we talk a lot, like all these things are based on open source uh, products, right? And I think there's a, often a, a cons- not consensus, and, um, a belief that that is free somehow. Uh, is it cheaper to run things on containers compared to uh, traditional things thereby? Or is it is it not free, or can you like how does that work? I mean, there's there, there's nothing that's free. Uh, I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> there, is, there is no free lunch. You should know it by now. I mean, you, you're gonna have to pay one way or the other, um, and and you know there's a lot of things going into this, and it, this is a discussion on its own. Uh, first of all, I think open source is more of a development process rather than a commercial way of selling your your products um, and uh, with saying that it's you know typically open source projects anyone can contribute um, and people test uh, codes uh, you know they pen test them for each other they give advice so it's it's a way of developing code faster I think that's the main reason why open source has become so popular uh, because development gets faster, basically, and you you can get anyone in there from anywhere around the world can can contribute to whatever project that you're 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 working on, basically. Um, so that's the one thing. The other one is, of course, that there's a ton of open source code out there that is free to use. So you can download it and you can run it, and you don't have to pay anyone for it. Sounds free to me. Yeah, that's free. But um, if you're doing that in, in a larger environment, you might want to have some kind of support on things when they break. So at an open source product, you can get support from the community. Um, you might not want to post certain things publicly in the community chat because it might be internal secret stuff that you cannot share. So it might be hard to get public support on, on, on certain uh, you know, problems that you're having. Uh, because of security concerns, basically. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, the one other one is that if you're supporting it yourself, uh, depending on how your organization looks like, etc., uh, you might not want to be waking up in the middle of the night when something has uh, stopped working because you're the only one that knows how it works. So you might want to have someone else that you can call, for example. Uh, so there's a number of different reasons, you know, why you might want to have support for it, and and why free is kind of, you know, it it's yeah, it's free, but probably you're gonna spend more time on it, and and probably you're gonna have 
uh, some difficulties to, to, to get the most out of the software because you can't get that proactive support from someone that's installed it, you know, 500 times before. Right. And they, you probably have, have that in your policy already that you have to have support on, on the things that you use in production, at least, I guess. Yeah, I mean, certain clients and certain industries have that as a requirement. Uh, you know, financial uh, sector, for example, which is heavily regulated, uh, they have uh, in certain areas uh, a demand that the you know things have to be supported. And 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 I guess it's also a bit comes down to to your own organization. What what types of skills and and resources are do you have yourself? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's possible to absolutely support, you know, let's say a pure open source and, and do it yourself. It, it might just take, you know, more skills and more people to do it. So, so there, there is no easy answer. It's left or right or whatever, you know, it, it at always, it, it, it kind of depends. I, I, I think if you look look at it from a developer perspective, I think they always want the latest and, and no lock-ins, you know, and, and, and all of the, the, the new goodies, you know. But then you also have, you know, you, you probably need to operate it in, in a secure way according to, you might be, <clears throat> need to comply to some, some laws in, in, in Sweden or in Europe or in the world, you know. So there, there, there might be, you know, a couple of other aspects to, to, to what you're doing. And, and uh, you just need to address those aspects for, for you specifically. Uh, and, and, and I think skills in, in general, I think there is a, a, a limited availability of skilled uh, people with you know skill and experience in in this world it, it it's quite limited still that's one of the biggest issues and and you know the one that we keep hearing all over uh, the place uh, especially in Sweden is that you can't hire people basically to to run this environment um a lot of companies are really i wouldn't say scared or afraid but they're, they're hesitant to to build it uh, completely on their own because they, they, they are having difficulties to find the right skill sets to, to run these environments. Um, or keep them. I mean, yeah. you, you train them, they become really good, and then they, they leave for you know, a cooler startup or whatever. You know? So that, that, that is uh, because the, these skills are, are in high demand and, and there are not that many available. So what do you do then if, if you, you, know, you want to, to start, but there are, you don't have that in-house? Uh, I mean, it... I think you need to get you need to get some yeah. help, you know. And for, uh, certainly, sorry, go ahead, Patrick. I was interrupting you. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with Pat. I mean, you, of course, you should always get help, uh, especially in the beginning. I would say so. You you you're sure that you're making the right decision and that you're making informed decisions about you know whatever decision you're taking. But but get help definitely. Um, I think over time, of course, as as you know, things become. Uh, more common out there, you know, skills are going to go up in, in, in terms that more people are going to start working with it. And, you know, over time, hopefully, you know, we'll sort it out. But I think looking at the whole IT industry, even today, there there's, seems to be a constant shortage of certain skills that kind of never get get <laughs> backfilled. Um, and I think get help and, and make sure that you take the right decisions. And that might be to get help uh, to run it, uh, might be to get help to uh, implement it and design it and, and also train your, your staff. Um, or it might be to just hand it over to someone that, that, that can run it for you. I mean, there's no right answer here. And, and, and there's also 
comes back to what type of applications you're running and, and you know what type of uh, regulative uh, considerations you also have to take potentially um, you know certain industries or you know there's they they can't just hand things over to anyone um, especially with trams etc et you know the uh, the american owned public uh, cloud uh, Companies, for example, uh, is uh, is a challenge for some companies to to put their workloads up there. For example, mm. it could be a really good tool, but you know, it, it it you know comes down to what we like to talk at Proact about. You know, what would you say, Nick? It's, it's it's about your ones and zeros. It's about your data. You know, what, what is it that you have there? You know, that they, you know at, at the end of the day, that that is what it comes down to. And for some of you, I, th- I think you know, utilizing some of the prepackaged uh, tool sets that you can find in the public cloud might be the right choice and you're running it yourself in your data centers and have several of them you you can have very high security standards and availability could be the right choice for you and and we also think that there is there is a space for more local service provider like, like proact in a way where you can have you know a local touch or legally local and and get help in your own language you know, we think it's going to be I guess a mix of all of it. You know, you, you, you know, maybe if you listen to us, you know, it, it's a hybrid or a multi-cloud decision. Again, just the context is is this kind of new application world. And it feels it feels a bit like uh, you know we talk a lot about multi-cloud. Uh, you know, having the data where it best it get, you know should be uh, utilizing services and functionality where it is delivered from and having uh, multiple. Vendors basically uh, of and data centers and uh, well so and so on or or, or may maybe a mix of them in the same function I mean maybe part of it is internal part of it could be external as well you know that technically that is possible is it a good idea maybe maybe not sorry Nico I was interrupting you again well no that's all right that's a good point um, but uh, when you, when you think about that uh, we, we mentioned um, movability. So it feels like containers, uh, you know, if you really want to go multi-cloud and do that efficiently, you should utilize containers where it fits to be able to move and scale wherever you need it to be and scale easily, I guess. Right? They're kind of, they're friends. Multi-cloud and containers go hand in hand. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's step one, because once you've containerized your application, you can run it anywhere. So you, you've made it movable uh, and, and you've made that choice uh, as an option to run it anywhere you would like. Um, and I think going back to what Per was talking about, we have uh, you know, several large clients today that are, it's not, it's not either or, it's, it's both. Uh, they, they're running applications in, in different places depending on the demands of that specific applications. So we have a lot of clients today in Sweden that run certain applications in their own data center, other, other applications they run in, in public clouds, uh, and they might have other applications that they run in, in, in a local service provider, depending on the, the requirements for those applications. And, and, I, and I mean, the, the, it is certainly, you know, by, by design, you know, a very movable architecture, you know, left and right, up and down, you know, here and there, whatever you want to talk about it. However, there is there is one little piece of advice, I guess, you know, from, from the storage node. You know, if, if you have a lot of data in your containers, and you might, you might not, you know, but, if, you know, the, the, the speed of light, uh, you know, still applies, you know. I mean, 
I guess in a, probably a bad one, but extremely example. I mean, if you containerize an Oracle database, which contains 100 petabytes, you move it from one cloud to another cloud, you know, you still have to migrate 100 petabytes of data, you know, and that is not happening overnight, you know, so for sure. But so, I mean, so, I mean, the, the, the normal logic and the speed of light obviously applies here. So it's down to the way you, you know, design your, your application. I mean, if you want to have this full flexibility, movability, you have to think about, you know, what your persistent data, you know, the stuff you want to keep, you know, where do you put it? You put it in your container architecture, and, and if you do that, you know it comes with some restrictions. Do you have it in a, a database externally? That's where you keep, you know, all your, you know, large amounts of data. You know, it, it comes down to the application architecture. That is something your developers absolutely have to think about when they design it. You know, how much flexibility do you want or need, and you have to design it accordingly. Yeah, and you know, completely true, and and go back to the whole thing of. It sounds very good that you can deploy your container anywhere, and and you can. But if you have those dependencies on an external database, for example, and 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 you have, uh, you know, response times that aren't good enough, of course you can't deploy your container anywhere in the world. It, it's not going to work really well then. So container still still doesn't you know bypass the speed of light problem. It, it is not the Star Trek warp speed yet. <gasps> Unfortunately, not. But maybe next version. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, I'd like to hear some cool use cases, uh, Patrick. I'm sure you have a uh, one or two. Uh, or use cases or customer stories, uh, you are welcome to anonymize whatever you want. But uh, with before and after or uh, something you're working on now, I'd be happy to hear about that. Yeah, um, I need to be careful of what I'm saying here. But uh, no, t- typically what we're seeing and, and what's being proven over and over and going is, uh, is how clients can speed things up. Um, we have, uh, which I think you actually had up here on, on another talk uh, a couple of weeks ago. We have a, a joint uh, customer reference in in AFA Försäkringar, for example, um, where they are looking at speeding things up to uh, changes in their applications from one month to one day, um, which is of course a huge step for. I mean, they're not there yet. They're gonna they're gonna end there. You know, there's, there's nothing saying that they're not going to end there. Um, but that's that's a significant, you know, difference in, in time of deploying changes or adding new um, functions to your applications. You can do it in a day. That's, that's pretty fast. Um, we have other clients that uh, aren't really sharing figures without, you know, exact figures, but uh, the common theme that we're seeing is how much they're actually speeding up their, their software development. That's been, you know, you can't really put numbers on on the value of, of that uh, because you have a lot of you know, companies out there that the only thing that they're competing against each other with basically is, is features and functions in in some of the services that they're, that they're selling. So to be able to react and, and adapt and, and to change those and to develop those and, and add things that no one else has um, is worth a lot. Um, I think also we're seeing from a uh, operation side of it, once people getting used to this and, and it is set up correctly, it, it starts to save um, a lot of time as well from just managing your, your environment to actually being able to focus on, on adding value, doing new stuff that you didn't have time to do before. 
because if you set up this environment correctly, it, it's automated to a very high degree. So a lot of repetitive tasks you don't have to do um, over and over again. You, you have automated those so they, they're done automatically. You're talking about infrastructure uh, as code yeah. here, I guess. infrastructure as code and... And automation is kind of key uh, for the underlying infrastructure to, to take full advantage of a container platform. Uh, and once you have that in place, um, it's, it saves a lot of time, time and frees up resources to, to, go, to go do other stuff, basically. And I mean, for you infrastructure geeks uh, listening to this, you know, th- this is really cool to be able to, to design and operate an environment like this. This is a very interesting technical, technical challenge. But, but also, I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, the developer is king or queen, you know, and, and to some extent, I guess they are. However, I think something that was an eye-opener for me when I, you know, t- started talking to Konoa, you know, earlier this year was that a lot of the work you're doing is actually sitting down and, and helping the developers themselves understand, you know, how, how does this containerized platform really work? And what, what, what are the features and functions I can utilize to become even better at, at uh, developing code? So, so don't, don't take it for granted, you know, that you, all of your developers absolutely understand, you know, how we see CICD pipeline and all of that works. You know, they, they might actually need some support and training in, in really utilizing your new platform. So, so it's, it's not just, it sounds like, you know, IT operators always, you know, behind the curve and, and slow and, and it's not, that is not necessarily at all the case. It might be the developers that need help or a push to, to make this happen as well. Yeah. And, and, and developers, they, they tend to focus on, on the application and, you know, they have a wish list of things that they would like to, to be able to do. Sometimes reality kind of puts a few blocks in the way. You're going back to, to network and security rules, for example, uh, I mean, you, you need to take into consideration what your application is, is supposed to do and, and what is uh, allowed to do. What can it talk to and what can it not talk to? Um, so you're getting into a, a kind of a gray area here as well between developers and operations where you need to decide who makes the rules and, and who makes sure that you're following the rules. Uh, so who is responsible for what in this part? And, and you need to find that common ground between developers and operations to, to also figure that piece out because it's not black and white and you can't just say that it's everything on the developers or it's everything on operations because that's not going to be the optimum way of doing it. And, and, and I mean, for your developers, you know, I mean, back to, to the Spotify example, I mean, there you as a developer are responsible for the quality of the code. So if you have an issue with, with, in operation, you are going to be there helping solving it so so that's that's one way of, of organizing around this uh, challenge i like that i like that it gives you you know the responsibility of actual well the life of your code as well yeah and and, and you know this is one of the probably uh, hardest uh, things that that comes with containers with a lot of clients is that uh, there's a cultural change and organizational impact uh, that this technology also have because you you need to get certain teams closer to each other. They need to talk more to each other uh, than they probably have done in the past. So it's also about breaking down those barriers and and, and getting those teams to to start working together um, on on a common ground, basically. Yeah, as usual, it's the human factor that is the slowest 
in adopting new technology. And organization structure and culture you know, might be, be a hurdle that you need to overcome. Hmm. True. But there is help to get out there. Guys, I, I uh, feel like we're running out of time, actually. Uh, I, I uh, really want to thank you to, for, for uh, being on today. Um, do, do you have any last things that you want to, to uh, mention in this episode? Because I think that we might need to, to uh, create a, a follow-up session on this, perhaps, to uh, maybe dive deeper into the different technologies uh, as well. I mean, my my advice is is very simple. Uh, take help uh, from someone that's done this a couple of times, so that you can understand uh, what you don't know. So you 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 can figure out what you need to to learn yourself, and uh, and, and and get an idea of what containers is, what um, the challenges are, and also what the possibilities are. And, and then start small, um, you know, no big projects, start small, but try to involve uh, the whole organization that's going to be impacted. Uh, sounds easier probably than it is, but uh, that, that would be my advice. And, and enough, if I can just add a, you know, a small thing on top of that one, you know, get, get going, you know, get in there. Uh, because you know it, it, it is happening uh, all over the place as, as we see now. So so from you know from a, you know management business perspective, staying relevant uh, from developers, of course, you need to understand you know the new development methods, and certainly for IT operations, you know, get in there, you know, get your hands dirty, you know, start start somewhere and 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 learn. And and to Patrick's point, you know, there there is help to get from from us and from others to to get if you need to get going super thank you very much uh if you're listening to this and uh want us to bring up something uh, specific in regards to containers kubernetes uh, tools uh things to to continue to talk to to bring into the next episode about containers and kubernetes in the future uh please write us uh, in the comments on the platform that you're seeing, watching, or listening uh, to this podcast, or on uh, social media on LinkedIn, where we post a lot from this podcast. Uh, and we'll take that into consideration. We'll be super happy to get your feedback, actually. Uh, thank you very much, Pasadin and Patrick. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Nico. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Bye.